I feel like no one is really writing truthfully about what goes on inside publishing and I want to fill that niche. So that, that's why I felt like I had to write this substack. Welcome to the book I had to write. I'm Paul Zakshavsky. Last year, I came across an essay called Why Book Publishing is Broken. It was by today's guest, Kathleen Schmidt. She used decades of experience in book publishing to lay out many reasons why traditional publishing is failing writers. And the essay really stood out, not just because Kathleen presented solutions to the problems she had diagnosed, but also because her perspective was clear-sighted, well-informed, and so honest and personal. I've been hooked on Kathleen's Substack newsletter, Publishing Confidential, ever since. With over 5,000 subscribers, I think of it as one of the must-reads for any writer looking to understand today's publishing landscape. In this interview, we talk about that landscape, what authors need to know in order to have their books succeed, and what it means to raise your author profile in 2024. And we discuss why memoirs are one of the hardest categories for agents to sell right now, and what authors can consider doing to make their books more marketable. Kathleen Schmidt is the founder and president of Kathleen Schmidt Public Relations. That's a boutique firm specializing in branding, PR, marketing, consulting, and business strategy. She's worked for over three decades in the book publishing world. A quick warning, there's a brief mention of suicide in this episode. I really came to understand the world of book marketing differently after talking to Kathleen, and I hope you will too. Welcome, Kathleen. I'm, I'm really thrilled that you're doing this. I love your Substack, and I'm really excited for this conversation. Thanks so much for having me, Paul. So I typically start off the interviews by asking guests why uh, this was the book that you had to write. And in this case, I guess I, what I want to ask you is, why is this the work that you know where I'm going with this? Why is this the work you have to do? The simple answer is that for the bulk of my career, I felt like publishing um, was shrouded in mystery from, you know, for authors. And I felt like that was really unfair to them. And I found myself in positions several times where I wanted to give information to authors, but I was told that I couldn't do that. Um, and so when I left my last in-house job, I had the, you know, gratefully, I, I had the luxury of taking a few months to decide what I was going to do next. And when I decided to start my business, I also thought, you know, let me give Substack a try. I had written um, the newsletter in a different iteration back in 2017, I think, through MailChimp. So I had about 100 email addresses. It was friends, old colleagues, <laughs> a couple of media people. And I imported them and thought, well, let's see what happens. And I had to make a decision where I was going to write about publishing in an honest way knowing that the big five were probably not going to hire me after I wrote it. And I was, I had to be okay with that. And I am okay with that. 
because I feel like no one is really writing truthfully about what goes on inside publishing and I want to fill that niche. So that, that's why I felt like I had to write this Substack. You, I've heard you describe yourself as more of a strategist than a publicist. Mm-hmm. Help me understand that difference. How do you see that difference? Well, I don't only do PR. So, you know, and it's funny you ask because I keep batting around possibly changing the name of my company to, you know, something like KMS Media because it encompasses more of what I do. I do take on publicity campaigns, but I also do consultations with authors where we talk about strategy for their careers, their goals for their careers, how they should navigate certain things like you know, breaking up with an agent, uh, questions that they need to ask their publisher, what they should be doing between books. It's not something that they necessarily have to hire someone for a prolonged period of time, but it's good to have a consultation with someone who has been in the industry for a long time and can help them navigate it a little bit better. And I also do a lot of marketing. Uh, I work with people on book proposals, on query letters. It's kind of a jack of all trades thing. So I like to say strategist because that's sort of the best one word <laughs> that I can use to describe what I do. Uh, I think it was last year you wrote a post called Why Book Publishing is Broken. And I know you've done other episodes on this. But just kind of top line, since I feel like this is such a big theme that you, or big note that you strike really in a lot of your work, uh, and you do offer, of course, a lot of solutions, but why from your perspective is, is book publishing, at least big five book publishing broken? There are a few reasons I can give bullet points on. One, they publish too many books. That's absolutely 100% true. I know people don't like to hear that, but... They do. They publish far too many books and there aren't enough people buying that many books to be publishing the amount that they publish. Number two is they acquire books that they don't put marketing muscle behind. And it makes no sense to do that because if you're not putting any marketing muscle behind a book, why are you bothering to publish it? It's not field of dreams where you build it and they come. (laughs) (laughs) You actually have to do something to bring the consumer in. Third, they rely heavily on other platforms to do the promotional work for them instead of doing it themselves. All the big five have newsletters that they put out and they do different kind of promotional things you know to reach the consumer but it's boring frankly and i you know i don't see any innovation happening uh, in that area and you kind of have to go you have to meet people where they're at when you're talking about consumer behavior fourth is really you know they there's no rhyme or reason to P&Ls or advances or the, the whole idea of what each season you're publishing or the amount of books you're publishing, it's all kind of garbled. And I feel like if you're, you know, if you're not able to pay authors an amount that they can live on, what are we doing? Further, you're not paying your staff a livable wage. So on many levels, it's, it's broken. Um, you know, another big theme for me is that big publishers rely heavily 
on the big books to make their numbers. And while that's all fine and good, it's not a sustainable model because eventually that's not that's going to dry up too. So there needs to be some more experimentation in the industry. I think to your point number two about marketing budgets, I know, and this is very anecdotal, but a lot of writers I know talk about or have hired independent publicists, or they certainly think about it. And other writers who haven't yet approached publication don't necessarily know about this. Why would someone hire an independent publicist? What should they know about marketing budgets these days? Well, they need to know the, the right questions to ask their publisher. So no publisher is going to come out and say, hey, we don't have the budget for you. And our publicist is not going to pay as much attention to you as you think they might. So you might want to hire someone. You need to ask it what the marketing and publicity plans are, but you also need to be able to decipher them. So one of the things I do with authors in an initial consultation when they're, you know, when we're talking about um, them employing my services is what those plans mean. And I can look at it and say, and go, you know, with a check mark and say, they're just doing this to appease you. They're just doing this to appease you. They're just, you know, this isn't, this isn't something that's actually going to sell your book. And to that point, I often say to potential clients, you know, there are two kinds of publicists. There are publicists who are pitch machines and they just pitch, 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 pitch. And they give you a long list of confirmed media and they're not focused on whether the book sells because their job is solely to get media. I'm not that publicist. I am the publicist who thinks about how are we going to sell the book? Because when you're an author and you're going to write another book and you're going to try and get it sold to a publisher, you can have 20 great media hits, but if the book didn't sell, it doesn't matter. So you need to be more strategic about what, what is happening to your book. And that's not something every publisher necessarily is going to take care and attention to. It's more like publicists in the big five are overworked, underpaid, marketing people too. They can only do what they can do. They shoulder the blame a lot when books fail. It's unfair to them. And I would say overall, you know, morale could be really low. So when I talk to people, it's usually, listen, I want to take control of my marketing and publicity, and I want to hire you to help me do that. And that's really the main reason why. Or, you know, it's someone who's being published by a small publisher who, doesn't, who just simply doesn't have publicity staff. And that's also very common. So I don't want to front load this conversation with a lot of gloom and doom, but... <laughs> No, why? <laughs> Although this is the year for it, isn't it? Yeah, right. Yeah. Well, you know, to that, we are obviously, this isn't new news, but it feels like particularly um, like it's happening right now. We're in the midst of, of a lot of media layoffs. Mm -hmm. You know, just this week, news out of the LA Times, Sports Illustrated, Pitchfork. I'm sure I'm forgetting yeah. other outlets. Well, I, I actually just read that Business Insider is laying off 8% of their staff. So, you know, once upon a time, I feel like the book review, while it may not have actually moved books, it, it was kind of like the big daddy on the block, you know, in terms of, you know, in terms of kind of helping to make a writer's career or credibility or platform or whatever you'd call it. And that's certainly not as true today, especially 
since, as we're just saying, (laughs) there's just a lot less media, you know, to go around. So what do you see as the kind of the more prominent channels now? What, when you're working with a client, where do you kind of put your resources? Depends on what the book is, because, you know, one of the very first things that I ask people is who is your audience and who who are your readers? And a lot of people can't answer that question right off the top of their heads. And then I go back and I tell them, you're going to make your perfect reader profile. So that is make up a name, you know, is it a man? Is it a woman? How old are they? Do they have kids? Are they married? Uh, What brands do they shop? What podcasts do they listen to? What movies do they watch? What shows do they watch? What streamers do they subscribe to? All of those things gives you a lot of information about who your reader is. And your book is not for everyone. And I wrote about that you know, I often talk to people and they tell me, well, I want everybody to read my book. No, everybody's not going to read your book. And the sooner you realize that, the better off you are. So sometimes it's, um, you know, pitching niche podcasts for people, you know, very uh, segmented market um, of podcasts. Sometimes it's, uh, you know, working with them on what the best social media strategy is for them. Um, or Substack strategy for them. Other times it's straight traditional media, which is getting increasingly difficult uh, to to confirm. So my marketing background is very helpful in what I do for authors because sometimes I tell them, listen, the publicity part is is not the thing that's going to work here. The marketing part is the thing that's going to work here, but you also have to participate. And and that's hard too, because a lot of authors like to be in, you know, solitude (laughs) writing and they don't like to participate in the, in the social part, but we're in an age now where it's absolutely necessary for authors to participate. They have to, you can't just give the keys to your publisher or a publicist or a marketer and say, here, you do everything. That's not the way it works anymore. If there's, kind of one thing that every writer listening to this should do, if nothing else? I don't even know if we can reduce it to one thing, but is there one thing like you always tell people off the top? One thing I tell people off the top is go find where your audience lives when they're not reading books. And so that means find them on, you know, Instagram, whether it's Instagram, TikTok, threads, Twitter, I don't even bother with because it's a wasteland there. (laughs) You know, is it Facebook groups? What Facebook groups are they in? But go find, go find people, go find your people. That's super important and start engaging with other people because more often than not, you know, writers are kind of like, well, I'm you know, I'm writing, I'm getting into writing my next book and that's all I want to do. That's great, but your next book isn't going to sell unless you sell the book that's out there right now. So that's one thing every author should do. I heard you talk about a lot of social media platforms there. Mm -hmm. Different folks are in different places with social media. I know I have a hate-love relationship. I'm sure you may as well by the sound of things. Mm How necessary is social media for authors and are there particular, you know, are there particular apps that you feel are really like more kind of like where you really have to be today? I think social media is still really important because whether we like it or not, that's where people live these days online. Um, I, you know, I kind of X out 
no pun intended, Twitter <laughs> slash X, uh, because it's just, you're not going to get the engagement there. The algorithm favors everybody who's paid for a blue check mark. So it's just impossible. Threads are really like, threads can be like the first five years of Twitter if you know how to post that way. So threads to me is an intersection of some people like me who are on Twitter for 15 years and were refugees that went over to the to what we think is the better place. And then you have a whole faction of people who were never on Twitter, but they were on Instagram and they want to see what threads is all about. And I absolutely love that because you have the opportunity to get an entirely new audience to engage with you. And I have found in posting that the real simple stuff that I post gets the most engagement. I don't get really deep on there. You know, I don't get really in the weeds with publishing or anything. It's, it's truly what social media was in, in the beginning. And I know some people will argue that fact. And there's toxic people on every single platform. But the more you post there and the more you post about certain things, the more engagement you'll get and the less trolls you're, you're going to get. So I really like threads. I like Instagram because Instagram, you can post on your grid, you could do a story, you can create a reel, which is their answer to TikTok. I love all of those things. TikTok, they will have to pry from my cold dead hands because wow. I am, I don't, I don't create videos very often. When I do, it's like my puppies to funny music or something like that. It's very experimental for me. But every single night I put my headphones on when I'm done with work for the day and I just mindlessly scroll. And the wonderful thing about TikTok is, and it's kind of the scary thing, is that their algorithm, their AI algorithm is so good that it gives you exactly what you want without having to search for it. So every single time you open your your app of TikTok, it gives you what you want and there's no decision fatigue. And I think that's a huge reason why it does so well. Facebook, I feel like it's it's good if you're in groups and you're engaging with people in groups because you can make connections that way. It's not really a place where I would say to put all of your promotional energy into, but it's still worthwhile. I don't discount the social media for authors, but I also feel like some authors aren't made for it. And that's when I tell them to find what I call digital surrogates. So digital surrogates are people who you can find who have a, a, a robust following and you can talk to them about promoting your book on their account. And I often do that for friends of mine who have, you know, smaller followings than I do. I'll put their book in my stories and say, you know, you should buy this or this is my friend so-and-so's book. And that's what you really want to do. If you, if you don't feel comfortable doing that yourself, there are people who could do it for you. I wanted to switch gears a little bit because a lot of this podcast is focused on nonfiction writing. And so I wanted to kind of pick your brain about the state of, or maybe the sorry state of nonfiction publishing these days. 
there was a time I feel like when memoir, you know, it was a huge genre and there, you know, maybe from the, the end of the eighties through like 2018, there are countless big books, right? Angela's ashes, liars club, uh, educated wild. Mm-hmm. And I guess my question is, I read something that you wrote the other day, uh, went something like, I won't sugarcoat this memoir is the toughest category for agents to sell right now. I'm wondering how we went from there to here. Uh, oversaturation. Uh, that's plain and simple. It's just an oversaturation of memoirs. And I talked to a lot of uh, authors who are either in process of writing a memoir or have written one and want to promote it or are wondering whether they should write one. And the thing is, I don't mean this to devalue anyone's work. It's just a fact. So many of the stories are similar. Um, there's a, there are only so many memoirs about trauma or divorce or sickness or mental illness and, you know, life changes and on and on that one can publish until the market just isn't going to hold that many titles or sell that many titles. The other part that I think that has kind of taken away from memoir is social media. Because if you think about it, somebody's social media account is sort of like their memoir. You are finding a lot out about people online and you're finding out about it for free. (laughs) So to ask somebody to buy a memoir, it has to be pretty extraordinary, you know, and that's the thing. Everybody, of course, everybody feels like their story is unique and it's extraordinary. And I don't devalue that at all. We all have our own experiences and we all sometimes feel if we just shared them with other people it would make us feel better and you have an important story to tell but you really have to ask yourself is it a book or is it an essay is it a book or is it some post on social media because the answer usually is it's just an essay or it's just some post on social media it's very hard to get an agent excited about memoir right now, unless it's something absolutely extraordinary. Do you think that there are, apart from having kind of a big life, being a celebrity, are there things that authors listening to this could be doing to enhance their memoir? I know, for example, a trend, I think it's Lee Stein came up with, uh, or at least she uses the term memoir plus, you know, so a research component. Mm-hmm. In your opinion, does that kind of help? make something more saleable? I think so, but you also have to be careful because, um, and I'll use myself as an example here. So I'm thinking about doing a book, but it's not, it's not a memoir. It's, it's more of a kind of a, a springboard off of what I write about in the Substack and kind of talking to people, you know, getting through the publishing process. And I, I am talking to an agent about it and, you know, she's, she's helping me work on material. And, you know, she said, this isn't going to be a memoir, right? And I said, no. Um, but I am putting little bits and pieces of my personal experience in there just to make it relatable. So the, the crux there is that how do you categorize that then? You know, is it a business book or is it a memoir? Is it self-improvement or is it a business book? And that'll get figured out as we go along. But there's a big difference between weaving little tidbits of your personal story in to something bigger, a bigger concept, and just writing a straight memoir. So the thing about that is if you can offer people something tangible 
the takeaway from whatever you're writing that they can apply to their own lives, you might have something saleable, you know, and that's really, I feel like what memoir plus is, you know, it's, it's like, you pray love bonus material, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's something like that. So when you have clients now who approach you with memoirs, you do what? I ask them a lot of questions and I ask them if I could read at least the first hundred pages. I ask them what their goals are, you know, for it and what other things they have going on around it. You know, are they teaching classes? One of the things that agents look for a lot is proof of concept, right? So it's really, is the thing you're writing about, are you the expert in that? Is the message you're sending, how public are you about that? And will people know you for sending that message or putting that message in a book? So I ask a lot of questions about their platform and what their goals are for publishing memoir, what their goals are in marketing it. And I ask the, you know, million dollar question, who is the audience for the book? And every single person has trouble answering that question. And that's why people really need to think about that before they even, you know, start querying agents about memoir. Know who your audience is. Be very, very specific about that. Because again, your book is not for everyone. That feels like a great piece of advice in terms of book proposals, right? The, the target audience and marketing sections. Yeah, absolutely. And that's something, you know, that is also a service I offer. You know, I can help and, and look at those sections and tell people, you know, whether they have enough, whether they need more, what they should emphasize. Because I even have spoken to agents in the past. I'm lucky, you know, lucky enough I got hooked up with one that's, you know, on my level right now. But they, with even my platform would say, well, your platform's not big enough. What? Wow. You know, I, and I would add up like everything from all my platform. Like I have like 80,000 followers if you combine everything. And I know that's not a million, but it's also not nothing. And I also know how to sell books. So that's how tough it is. You know, no one's handing me anything. So imagine what the, <laughs> you know, what the regular author is going through. You know, it's still, I mean, even for someone like me, it's, it's about finding the person who will believe in your message and can help you with the material because they believe in what you're doing. And, you know, I'm lucky in that I, you know, someone approached me first um, because of the Substack. So that, and that's why I say that, you know, some people, maybe you should write a Substack. But I also think Substacks have taken away from the memoir category. And I think that Substacks have taken away from media because there, you know, there's so many Substacks that you can go to for news now, or you don't have to buy a women's magazine because you get all the beauty stuff, the fashion stuff, all of that. There's there's literally a substack for everything. So I think that that also has to be a consideration. Do some research on substack and see what people are writing about. If someone's on there, they have a big following, they're writing sort of in the same vein as you are in a memoir format, but doing it in a newsletter, that's something you might want to consider and and you know making your trying it out for free first and then uh converting it to paid subscribers there's nothing wrong with that i'm really glad you mentioned or brought the conversation back to substack because i wanted to ask you about another one of your posts i think it came out last september i was really moved by it 
and it was about, I think it was about your own uh, struggles with depression several years ago. Mm-hmm. It was, it was an amazing piece. I guess I wanted to ask you this, since this is a writer's podcast, what did you feel like the impact of writing and publishing that piece was for you? And did you feel like you, did it help you connect with others who may, who could reflect that same story? Uh, I got amazing emails after that post. It was scary for me to write it and put it out there because you never want people to feel, especially people who might be thinking about hiring you or our current clients to see you as damaged goods. But at the same time, I believe in being authentic and as transparent as I can be without disclosing too much about my personal life. But I feel like if I was put on earth for one reason and survived all that for one reason, it is to help other people. So I feel like the impact of that largely was that other people knew that they were not alone. And I deal with so many writers that I, I know that they go through these bouts and I know how emotional it is and I know the highs and lows. Um, I've experienced that doing PR and, you know, a lot of people who do PR suffer from depression and anxiety. You know, we all have a love-hate relationship with it because the highs are really high, but the lows are really low. So I would experience if I was working on a big book and there were a ton of media and I'm going, 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 taking someone to all the shows and, you know, just busy, not even having time to think about anything. And then that's over and you're back to, you know, regular life and the crash is really bad. And then you go, you know, it's like you're up here and then you're down here. (sighs) And, you know, I've been through quite a lot in this industry. Um, You know, I have failed spectacularly um, and have ended up in the depths of depression and had to go to outpatient and just work on myself to be able to cope with a lot of different things. And it helped me. And I just want people to know it's okay to do that. doesn't make you a failure. It's actually really brave to make that decision. It's, it's a brave decision to stay alive. You know, that, that's what I want people to know. It's a brave decision to be alive. And when you, when you make that intentional decision every single day, you are so much braver for it, you know, and suicide is, I never, ever, ever want to hear people say that someone took the easy way out because it is not the easy way out. It is because a person feels so much pain that they would rather not feel that anymore. And they feel like the doors are closing in on them. I know with myself, I felt like there was no tomorrow. I felt like there was not going to be a day where I didn't feel that pain. You know, what I learned from that, and I do much better coping now, is that tomorrow is a new day. You you have a gift, and that gift is another day. And if you could just hold on for another 24 hours, I promise, I promise, I promise things will start to get better. I love that message. And thank you for writing the post. Thank you. Uh, It was really meaningful. And it also feels like you felt like Substack was the right place to put that out. I did. I felt like I would reach 
the right audience by putting it there. I had, you know, over the years, I had tweeted a lot about my struggles with mental health, and that really wasn't the place to do it. I felt like a cohesive essay on it was much better. And I also felt like if I could be authentic to my audience and let them in a little bit, it made me real to them. And it made me relatable to them. And that was super important to me. And that's also how I approach, you know, like threads on social media or Instagram. I let people in, you know, to see that I'm just a regular person. You know, I'm not some hoity-toity publishing executive (laughs) who's untouchable. I'm a regular mom, wife. I live in New Jersey. I have two teenagers. I'm at the Jersey Shore. Uh, I run around like a maniac. I have two puppies. You know, I, I'm just a regular person who happens to work in publishing. It's not who I am. You know, my, publishing is not who I am. It's what I do. Who I am is who wrote that essay. Well, Kathleen, I just I want to thank you so much for your time today. I've loved this conversation. I'm super excited that you're working on a book. I can't wait to have you back on the show. And just thanks for your time. Thank you. I appreciate it. You've been listening to my interview with book strategist Kathleen Schmidt. She's the writer behind the Publishing Confidential Substack and the founder and president of Kathleen Schmidt Public Relations. If you've enjoyed the show, then I hope you'll subscribe in Apple Podcasts. I'm always grateful for reviews and for sharing the show with friends. To get show notes and a transcript delivered to your inbox, please subscribe to my newsletter, The Book I Want to Write. It's at bookiwanttowrite.substack.com. Every week, I also publish short essays about writing mindset, developments in publishing, and more. If you're working on your own book you have to write, or you want to get started, maybe I can help. Find out more about me and my book coaching at bookiwanttowrite.substack.com. That's bookiwanttowrite.substack.com. And thanks for listening. Thank you.